Hi, I'm Angela East and welcome to another edition of the East Meets West podcast. This podcast is proudly focused on Western Australia, the engine room of the Australian economy. From the CEOs, company directors, brokers, entrepreneurs and everyone in between, East Meets West is a deep dive into what makes the greatest state on earth tick. On today's episode of the East Meets West podcast, I'm chatting with Greg Jurak, Managing Director of Juno Minerals, an emerging iron ore producer with strong lithium potential in an area of Western Australia that has earned itself the nickname Lithium Corridor of Power. Juno's main focus in the fertile Yilgarn region is iron ore, with its flagship project being the large 5.9 million tonne Mount Mason direct shipping ore hematite project, which the company is advancing towards production. This junior explorer also has a magnetite project known as Mount Ida in the same region which currently hosts a 1.85 billion tonne resource and is the most advanced magnetite project in the Yilgarn. But a recent investigation into the lithium prospectivity at Mount Ida has come up with some promising results for Juno. It is aptly timed too with the Mount Ida fault catching the eye of several majors for its lithium riches. Rio Tinto reportedly now has multiple exploration license applications covering more than 61,000 hectares just north of Mount Ida and also close to the Kathleen Valley Lithium Project being developed by 6.6 billion takeover target Liontown Resources. Delta Lithium's Mount Ida Lithium Project is located 19 kilometres north of Juno's Mount Ida Lithium Prospect and is being developed to initially produce a DSO product with the intention to produce bodumene concentrate. Mineral Resources is pretty keen on Delta's Mount Ida ground, having picked itself up a substantial stake in the company and installed its rich lister boss, Chris Ellison, at the helm. Gina Reinhardt, Australia's richest person and chair of private miner Hancock Prospecting, has also increased her exposure to lithium in the Yilgarn through a joint venture with Legacy Iron Ore and Hawthorne Resources on Mount Bevan. Interestingly, Hancock Prospecting is also on Juno's register. Welcome, Greg. It's great to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, uh, Angela. It's uh, great to be here. So the Yilgarn accounts for the bulk of WA's landmass and is not just one single prospective area. It covers several different terrains, which in turn have their own belts. Greg, tell us a bit about the part of the Yilgarn that has attracted so much excitement for its lithium potential. Yeah, the Yilgarn has had some, uh, particularly down to the south around Mount Marion, um, Bald Hill, those regions, and also more recently at, at Cabot Lithium. Now, now south of um, Southern Cross, which is a major lithium resource. And then, of course, way up north uh, in the Yilgarn at uh, Kathleen Valley. And also, yeah, with Delta Lithium around where we are on the Mount Ida Fault, yeah, have, uh, have uh, proved up a, a, a lithium resource there. So, yeah, it is shaping up to be a region that's always been famous for nickel and gold and other commodities, but uh, certainly lithium is uh, entering the fray in the Yilgarn at the moment. Interesting. So what, what has the majors like Rio Tinto, Hancock Prospecting and Mineral Resources so interested in the area? Hancock did a uh, joint venture with Legacy Hawthorne on the Mount Bevan prospect, Mount Bevan project, which is a magnetite project, which actually abuts uh, Juno's Mount Ida magnetite project um, to the north. So they did a joint venture with Legacy and Hawthorne for the magnetite project a couple of years or so ago now. And, but also more recently did a subsequent joint venture with them on the lithium prospectivity of uh, the Mount Ida fault. So they also recognise the potential of lithium around Mount Ida, essentially with what was formerly red dirt metals, but now um, Delta Lithium. And of course with um, Kathleen Valley uh, to the north, you know, has attracted um, 
you know, majors such as Rio, but not only just Rio, but Independence Group, which has also got a number of joint ventures north and south of Mount Ida and has picked up exploration tenure in its own right, just north of Mount Ida as well. So, yeah, so it's, it's certainly gaining the major focus of, of major major companies in the region, So, which is um, great for great for Juno. You've got a, a quite a bit of experience in the lithium space, having previously consulted for a number of years on Pilbara Minerals, Pilgangora Mine, and, and managed the feasibility study. What are you seeing at Juno's Mount Ida lithium prospect that indicates you have strong potential for more than just hematite and magnetite on your land holding? Yeah, so, um, yeah, Pilbara Minerals, that was a great experience, early days of uh, starting out in a tin shed in North Fremantle, and hasn't that project really uh, come along? So, yeah, spent five years and full-time consulting to that um, Pilbara. Yeah, when I was at Pilbara Minerals, I uh, mean, I was standing on top of the hill with Neil Biddle, so one day showing where we're going to be putting everything. Yeah, he sort of explained to me a bit about how the lithium was formed when, yeah, the granites, you know, meet up with the uh, greystone belt. And yeah, that's exactly what we have at Mount Ida. So naturally, just over a year or so ago, I, uh, yeah, with the success of Delta Lithium, I you know, started off to having desktop reviews done and then subsequently undertook a pretty extensive you know, two stages of soil sampling program um, down to a south. Now that area was recognised, um, so I got Dr. Mike Grigson in, who's a structural geologist, does a lot of geological mapping, and he mapped um, Pilgrimgora project since 2015, and is and and goes and maps there on a continual basis. But not only that, he did all the mapping for um, Wajina with the previous owners, um, Sons of Gualia. So he's got a lot of experience in um, geological mapping for lithium. So, but he identified the area south of our magnetite deposit as having, um, you know greatest potential for discovering rare metal pegmatites. So um, we did undertake a first-pass drilling program there, um, which did intersect pegmatites, but there weren't any high elevated levels of lithium in there. We did strike lithium, but um, it's nothing that I got excited about. But um, but certainly post the source and the results, you could probably show that we actually missed soil anomalies. Yeah, so it was pretty exciting for us. Um, so we've got... Uh, our phase two soils program has outlined two significant um, lithium anomalies, you know, with um, lithium, cesium, beryllium, rubidium, uh, all enriched within those two uh, anomalous zones, you know, they're over K, you know, K long and half a K wide, two um, anomalies. And, you know, they're the indicated minerals for, uh, you know, spodumene. So it's ticking all the right boxes so far. So, yeah, we're pretty excited about that. Where is Juno's projects situated in relation to the others in the region? Our prospective area for lithium with South there is uh, pretty much directly south of um, Delta Lithium's um, Mount Ida um, resource. So it's pretty close by. Plus also there's activity, lithium activity just to our south with Independence Group and Venus Metals and also to our north with Independence Group and uh, St. George Mining. Um, so, yeah, it's all in, in that uh, region. So, yeah, no, it was pretty close. So what are the next steps for investigating the lithium prospectivity further? Yeah, so what? Um, so after the uh, infill soil sampling, um, which has generated those two significant anomalies, um, we plan to drill those. Program of Works has already been submitted for approval. 
within DMERS, so we expect that to be approved in two or three weeks. They will have the heritage clearances done, but aim to get on the ground in early November to drill those two anomalies and um, see what it turns up. So we're uh, it's exploration drilling, so yeah, great opportunity for Juno. How big is the, the drilling program you've planned? Got a broad-based uh, program first up, so we'll be drilling lines about 200 metres apart. It has a total of um, about 5,500 metres all up. 100, you know, 34 holes, 160 metres each. So that will be a first pass, first pass drilling program. Genus Register has some interesting players with South Korea's POSCO and ACMI, as well as Hancock Prospecting. Do you think they are watching closely at what is playing out with Juno and its its lithium project? Yeah, so POSCO and AMCI, they are actually um, major shareholders on Juno's board and they do have board representation. So we do have directors both from both POSCO and AMCI on the board. Um, and they're sort of very supportive of what we're um, doing, progressing uh, our lithium exploration on this project. So, yeah, so they're inside the tent, so which is really good. So, um, and yeah, they're supportive major shareholders. And um, Hancock do own, uh, you know, 4% of the company as well. And uh, I think that mainly came over from the in species distribution from Jupiter Mines because they were. Uh, shareholder in Jupiter at the time, but they're certainly holding. So, um, yeah, and of course, as you know, they're active in the area in respect of uh, magnetite and also lithium exploration with their Mount, Mount Bevan uh, joint venture with Legacy and Walthall. Do you see other majors possibly looking to get in on the action? I don't know. I can't, I can't ask. Yeah, so there are certainly a few majors in there. So no doubt is an area that um, people will be, uh, or companies will be looking at. And, you know, it's sort of... Um, Merging that, it is gaining a little bit more tension. So, yeah, you never know. Very true. Long before its lithium potential came to light, the Yilgarn was already a well-established iron ore district. Juno has been advancing its large Mount Mason hematite project towards production. You've said it is a great opportunity and unfinished business for yourself in progressing these projects. Tell us a bit about the history of Juno's hematite and magnetite projects. Yeah, so I was involved with these um, two projects. I was a CEO of Jupiter Mines from 2007 to 2013. Uh, we did a, we completed a feasibility study on Mount Mason, which is a, a small DSO hematite resource. Um, and then, uh, but in parallel, we we're also doing a feasibility study on the Mount Ida magnetite project where we um, completed 100,000 metres of drilling. Uh, we spent over $50 million on both these two projects in Jupiter's days. Um, after um, the iron ore price uh, you know, crashed back, back in 2012, um, the projects were put on hold and um, for Jupiter and you know, our operations were wound down. Subsequently, um, how I became involved again was uh, old bosses that um, Jupiter contacted me and um, said, oh, I'm interested in heading up an IPO. They were spinning out these two iron, two iron ore assets into a separate entity, which is now Juno Minerals. I said, I'd love to, and I uh, jumped at the chance because it's unfinished business for me. And and that, and that since then, we have got Mount Mason fully approved for development and um, and uh, do have uh, a logistics supply chain to get the product out. Um, out, out into the market. So, 
We've done a lot of work on uh, the Mount Mason hematite project over the last couple of years to get to where we are. And of course, the uh, magnetite project is a very large project. Um, for a junior, it's a, you know, they require lots of money. It needs more money to complete a feasibility study on it to take it into um, production. Um, so we're looking for a major, and we have done some work, had some discussions looking for a major part to come in at project level to help us progress that project. So that's uh, still work we're doing in, in parallel to our other activities as well. So, and you know, you've got Hancock there doing a pre-feasibility study on the Mount Bevan project, our northern neighbour. So, you know, it's good having Hancock in the region as well. So a major company looking at progressing that magnetite project as well. So there's a lot of work still in front of them to complete that after they complete their pre-feasibility study. So, yeah, so that's probably a little bit in a nutshell of where I'm at now, but um, but certainly the lithium potential is adding a, you know, a, another bow to Juno's um, um, projects within that central Yulgarn. So, yeah, so we're pretty excited about that. Just on the Mount Mason project, you you recently executed a, a non-binding MOU with the Southern Ports Authority for access to iron ore capacity at the Esperance Port. Tell us a bit about that and the next steps in advancing the project. We have executed a non-binding MOU with Southern Ports to seek capacity out through um, Shed 3. Um, so there's capacity available to us. So we're working through with the port on what needs to be done at the port. Um, next month, I'll be going down and undertaking a risk assessment workshop so, yeah, it's great to be able to have access out to that port um, and we're, um, yeah, uh, dealing with the port at the moment on what needs to be put in place and, uh, yeah, so it's work in progress down there. You've also been in talks with metal traders potentially interested in Mount Mason DSO. What has the sentiment been like there and are you seeing strong interest? No, we've definitely got uh, strong interest. So I've talked to the, yeah, we've ended into having discussions with four metal traders. They're very keen on our product. We'll produce a 60% fines product, you know, slowly phosphorus. Um, it is a little bit, it's typical of Yulgarn iron ores. It does, you know, have a higher silica and aluminum content. But nonetheless, um, they say our product would fly off the shelf. There's no problem saying it, so just got to get it to market at the right price. So for those who don't know, listening who don't know um, a much about hematite and, and magnetite. Can you just give us a bit of a rundown on the, the difference and why, why your DSO hematite is is going to, I guess, fly off the shelf? It's a foams product, um, and but it is 60% and it's low FOS, um, and that's the main reason why it would fly off the shelf. So we could produce a lump, but, uh, yeah, we've got a, a smaller resource, so we need to produce. We're just going to produce a simple foams product. Yeah, because you've got to bear in mind we are – still going to be a small volume producer as a higher cost producer so so i guess it's the uh, low foss is the main reason um, but yeah there's a niche for certain um smelters within china that likes that sort of product so lastly what is the timeline to production at mount mason well we've got a logistics supply chain yeah that's available to us um the iron ore price has been pretty volatile recent times um although it has come up the last week or so, which is encouraging, but um, it's pretty hard to get a read on where it's going to head out. But as I said, you know, we are a small volume producer. We will be a small volume producer and a higher cost one, so we need a um, a good price to um, go ahead. Um, it definitely operation will be definitely um, 
profitable currently on the current iron ore price, but we'd like to see it higher before we make a financial investment decision on the project. But um, certainly we've got all the steps in place to be able to um, you know, um, strike at a higher hedge, a higher price at the right time. Once that happens and the board's happy with that, we'd make a financial investment decision to progress the project. So the important thing is that we're doing everything that we can to progress that project at an appropriate time. Okay, great, Greg. Well, um, thanks so much for your time talking to me today. Appreciate it. Thanks, Angela.